Hey, you guys. So this episode is really special to me. I'm actually interviewing my mother. Um, and, you know, this time of COVID is profound because I think that the, the world is in a place of pause. We keep hearing about that. But what is this pause for? And I think part of this pause is enabling us to have the conversations that need to be had. And so I'm calling this candid COVID conversations because this is me with my mother talking about things that are tough, things that are intimate, things that are um, meaningful. And so I hope that it inspires you to have the conversations that you need to have in this time. I hope that it inspires you to be present with what is and to say what you need to say to who you need to say it to. So give it a listen. Let me know what you think. And if you're so inclined, I would love it if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. Um, you know, the more reviews we have, the more this podcast gets out into the world. So it's not just like an ego boost. It's actually to help this get into more listeners' ears because that's really the intention. Um, I, I would so appreciate it. So if you've gotten anything from these podcasts, take a moment and just leave us a review. Enjoy. It's that fact that you've got to carry this multifaceted giant sack um, and nobody really is going to be able to carry that but you. Um, Carry the pain of it or carry... Absolutely. Nobody else can take that pain and then make the decision they would make with as they perceive that as compared to what I would make as I perceive the pain. Um, it's really an individual, very lonely little jaunt. Um, <clears throat> Do you think that everybody feels that way? I have no idea. Did David um, feel that way? That I, very lonely? The people I have talked to um, that are dying and or are now passed away <clears throat> feel that way. Um, I guess it's a separateness. You know, it is true. You know that you're on a job that, unfortunately, saving your life is what you feel like every minute is about. And that is your job, and you're alone in it. You can be standing, you know, having lunch with people, and you're in this different place. Yeah. Um, But I do think everybody is lonely. In fact... They're talking about people dying alone um, with COVID. Yeah. And that has always been, you know, a very distasteful thought to me of of dying alone. Yeah. Um, But (laughs) I honestly believe now. Yeah. I'm not saying I want to be alone because the minute the vestiges of me on earth, even if it's one working cell of my body or mind, doesn't want to be alone. Right. (laughs) That is a big transformation going on. Yeah. But the transformation is so overwhelming and you are so alone. Yeah. And that's exactly as it should be. And it is so your journey. Yeah. Um, that I I don't, uh, right now, it at least is comfort to me because when I think of those people dying alone, yeah, it used to just you know in the old days if I thought of that it was just like crushing. Yeah, and I I believe the transformation 
We do alone anyway. You do so alone. And yeah. it is so wonderful Yeah, that if somebody was there in those final moments. Sure. Um, and I think if I'm very lucky, I will be focused on the change coming yeah. more than hanging on. Hang out. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, that's how I'm hoping I feel. Yeah. I have a, I think you've done enough work on yourself to, and enough kind of looking at yourself to know and research. I mean, everything from Dr. Eben Alexander's book to Anita Morjani's book to, you know, everything. the journey work to everything is kind of in preparation. You know, it's like they say meditation is really a practice in, in dying because it is a solitary practice. It is a practice where we go inward. Um, we can't go out, so we might as well go in. I do find that it's interesting that so many people, and I know you know this story very well for many, many people where you'll be by their bedside of a person that's, you know, going to leave their body soon and you're waiting and you're waiting and you know, they're not going to recover. And then you leave to get a cup of coffee and then, you know, they pass. And it is one of those moments where I think the soul really does know. I think the soul really does prepare and know what it, what it needs, whether it wants to be alone or whether it wants to be surrounded by loved ones for that release, that soul release. I don't think anything can take us away from the uh, metamorphosis that happens when we leave these bodies, mm -hmm. no matter how many people we're surrounded by. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, I, I just get this feeling, you know, I, Eben Alexander, you mentioned him and uh, just recently listening to him again, one of his talks. Um, he talked about, the conscious awareness is thousands of times what it is here on earth. Mm. And I believe for me that transmission, that change, I believe uh, there is a glint of recognition of that vastness of knowledge, just, just awareness yeah. instead of awareness so blocked by everything, all the trappings that ego has created and the creation of the dream that we've made out of our lives yeah. that has these parameters. And you take away that and the awareness factor. And I've gotten a glimpse of that. Mm, tell me more about that, um, about some of the glimpses. The last time that I had a journey experience. Yeah. Um, I had a sense of heightened awareness that was so intense that fully knowing that in the ego structure of who I think I am when I'm on this planet, yeah, which I was shutting out. <laughs> Finally, yeah. it was like gone. Bye, Lori. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Yeah. But in that ego mind, uh, I'm not a psychic. Yeah. But I was leaving that behind so clearly that it just wasn't 
pertinent. It wasn't yeah. relevant to the moment. Yeah. And where I was, I just went, well, I must be incredibly psychic. Yeah. <laughs> because I've I, had that experience in journey space as well. And I just suddenly knew a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Now, was I to this afterlife stance? No, because I, you know, I, I actually heard Ram Dass say that what we're getting a glimpse of is still not it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's still not it. Um, that, uh, that life of spirit mm-hmm. and soul, he goes, because we're still tethered here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's as close as we're going to come to know. And I believe that fully. Why do you think we're here? Absolutely. Recently, one of the best all-encompassing quotes I ran into, I'll love another one next week, but Beethoven, who a master of music, a mind that is different than most brains, for sure. Uh, he literally said, our job here on the planet is to get as close as we can to divinity and then let rays of that reach out to as much of humanity as possible before mm. we leave. Beautiful. I honestly could not say better that I honestly understand. Yeah. And, and it, He's saying the job of the, you know, well-considered person. Obviously, some people aren't going to get close to divinity at all. They're going to be stuck in ego entrapments and things enforced and forced on them by the tribe and of course. by culture. They're going to stay there. But they still will disseminate their learning. Yeah, of course. Because we are all one. And so what Beethoven was saying is get as close as you can to the divinity right. and enhance the one. Yes. And to have an ex- a human experience of that divinity is so different than just to be soul consciousness where you don't know the touch of a hand. You don't know the, the beauty of music because there's no sound quality in, in soul consciousness. There's no taste of an ice cream. There's nothing. Things of the material world are great teachers. And, you know, as, as you quoted once and it it turned out to be uh, that, Northrop, who yeah. said uh, there are legions of souls yes. just waiting to take on a human experience, even for a stillbirth. Yeah, um, and this just human experience embodiment is so phenomenal. Yeah, and so rich. Yeah, and it offers challenges, of course. And my favorite definition of God is uh, God loves things by letting you become them. Mm. In other words, God is spirit. If right. we don't get out there in the dirt here, get this done. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, it moves through us. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, have you ever heard that story of the person that's, she like fell off a cliff and she's hanging on and she's like, God, God, please save me. And, and a, a guy in a helicopter comes by and yes. he's like, yeah, yeah, I got you. And she's like, no, 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 God's going to save me. And then a yeah. park ranger comes by and he's like, I'm going to save you. And she's like, no, God's going to save me. <laughs> and she dies. And she's like, why did you kill me? And he said, what the hell are you talking about, lady? I sent a park ranger. I sent a helicopter. I sent all sorts of shit to save you. God moves through us. Absolutely. And we are God. We have God in us. Yes. And so I am 
I am doing God a solid. We're joined in this beautiful adventure. For sure. What do you think your purpose has been? Um, What is the, what's the divinity that you've gotten close to that you've been radiating out? You know, it's fun to talk about Beethoven because it's so easy to see with somebody so incredibly talented. Sure. That the gift of his music that was so phenomenal, we listen and celebrate today, hundreds of years later. Um, You know, Obviously, that's close to divinity. Yeah. You know, it's like Eckhart Tolle saying, whatever, I, I love the way he says this, uh, counselors, teachers, artists, yes, they are really expressing creatively, and it's not them. They're just connected enough <laughs> to their soul yeah. that they are sharing the gift, the divinity, the divine. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, it doesn't even have to be that we're listening to Beethoven to understand the genius, uh, I believe, you know, in our soul. Those great gifts that take the human being and lift it into this position of beauty, you know. So Um, what's yours? What's yours? This is my podcast. Okay. I, I'll get there, but I want to hear yours. Um, <clears throat> or do you need a second and I can talk to you? Well, I I think... That sounded so harsh, but I was like, girl, answer the question. I like it. Well, I'm honored to have that question. Um, I love that incredible book, Crazy Brave, um, written by the poet laureate of this country, the most fascinating woman and brilliant writer. And she talks about, she says, as simply as can be, we come here usually accompanied by a guide who has also been really good at something just as we are going to be. And our guide helps place us not only with the mother and the father and the family in it, but with the tribe, with with the surrounding culture that is going to Nurture that. And nurture it. Thank you so yeah. much. That's the perfect word. Um, I loved that. Yeah. I mean, I loved that because we've heard forever, oh, you choose. And and I do believe we do. Yeah. You choose who your parents are going to be. And I always thought of it stopping there. And and that's kind of yeah. risky. You know, I'm putting all my, <laughs> putting my bet down on these two folks. You know, there's a lot of chance in the universe. Sure. But when the... When the choosing process goes beyond and even includes guides that have been good at what you are good at already in your soul, something that's going to flow from you easily, um, you know, you're going to really take in culture and everything else. Yeah. And just as her story proved out, the mom and dad piece in her life was dismal, but it still could not stop her from becoming as a Native American born on a poverty-stricken reservation, right. It's that still couldn't stop her from becoming the poet laureate of the United States. So <laughs> that's gift, you know, and yet to her, it was normal. And I think that's real gift. Sure. I think, you know, for people say, I'm wondering what I'm good at. Whatever feels easy, normal, and like it just is a thing you choose to do, mm-hmm. that's your gift. Every time you choose it, 
like that fabulous Wendell Berry poem. Every time you choose it, you say again, this is me. I am. I love this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I have had a joy of being a teacher and I've had a joy of being a therapist. Um, and other wonderful things. But I'll tell you, countless times, a question that comes up, whether you're talking to a 70-year-old woman in an identity crisis or widow who's trying to adjust to her world or whatever, the question you're going to hear every time is, how do I know what my gifts are? It, it feels like so often people just don't, just can't connect. Well, I'm not. And the reason why they can't connect is a lot of times that gift is so natural to them that, oh, gifts, if, if it's something really special, it's got to be hard. It's got to be, oh, take all my energy to even focus on it. It's so grand. Yeah. In truth, it's probably the thing that just flows. Right. Well, I think it's that, or it could be that, you know, we live in a system that has taught us to be selfless. And I think selflessness, while it sounds altruistic in nature, really means losing ourselves and having to sacrifice, you know, who we are and what we want so that we can be good or we can be, you know, good in the eyes of the church or good in the eyes of, uh, our husband or our wife or our whoever. So I think it, it, the, the, the pendulum kind of swings to either or that it's like so obvious that we're like, Oh, that can't be it. That's not, that's not intense enough or mm-hmm. hard enough or rich enough. Or it's like, we've totally denied ourselves and betrayed ourselves completely and lost touch with our soul's longing. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. I mean, but I really think, Number one, we're so gifted in so many ways. The basically the way we educate, and I I don't disparage it. Got some good stuff, but there's always choose. You know, you can't do everything. I remember that being said to me a lot as a child, mm-hmm. and I really was really interested in everything. And and yet I can feel the walls closing in when you know uh, I was shifted into my attention. But anyway, I, if there is a gift, it, it is um, motivating, especially young people, yeah. and using the fine arts to do it. Absolutely. And, um, and I frankly see that in a role all the way back to tribal times. I mean, this is a role we need in society. Of we, course. You know, it's almost shamanistic. Yeah, you know, totally. Um, and it, it has healing in it, and it has uh, motivation, you know, inspiration for others. Inspiration in spirit. Yeah. So that would be what I would identify as Beautiful. my gift. And I look at the things I have done, and they've all relied on that kind of love for that. That's beautiful. What a gift. It was a gift. It and, still is. And everyone has them, and, and certainly people I know and beyond, by of course, billions, of course. Um, have that same gift, or we wouldn't have the arts here at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Also exhausting, though. It, it does, I think, that particular gift does tend to make you think less of yourself than you're thinking of others. It's just a practicality. It isn't even 
you know, it isn't even, a, oh, aren't I unselfish or am I deeply codependent? It's just convenient. You know, if you, uh, it, again, it, it, you can write a screenplay, I'm sure. And if you're not spending quite a bit of your time wondering how it's going to go over with your cultural knowledge of your audience, you're probably not going to sell it, you know? Sure. So, so quite a bit of your time does have to be spent on who am I doing this for? You know, for myself, certainly. It's a gift of mine. It makes me feel, but okay, that's a given. Sure. But who am I doing this for and how interesting are they to me? And how much do I care that I share? The more I know about them, the easier it is to get, you know, get creative. And um, so you do, you, you very... Again, conveniently spend time in who in others people in other yeah. minds yeah. in your own. What are you learning most about yourself right now in this time of COVID? Um, what are you learning most about your patterns or the way you show up or who you are? Truth. Time. I yeah. I I really. I know that's kind of a tough question. Well, I, I think it; those are the best questions. And I, COVID, I am learning, makes me understand how much other people and 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 the kind of attitude of others has always shaped my attitude about myself. Yeah, because I have been living with a fatal diagnosis for five years uh, that is a incredible challenge and a lonely journey but I can tell you every morning when I wake up I don't forget through the night that I have a very serious disease and when I wake up every morning it's it, what's going to happen today is this the day that this manifests with this symptom and it means I can't think anymore or I can't that's you know that's a truism of this yeah. disease sure so it always made me feel really lonely sure but now I really realize that pretty darn near everybody my age is waking up saying is this the day that I, I get a symptom because of that one time I walked past that church without a mask and a little kid right. came running out and sneezed on me right you know and is this the day that it all Ooh. Is this the day it all comes down? Um, everybody's waking up that way now. Yeah. Yeah, you're not, feel, not such a solitary... I, I don't feel lonely at all, and I feel better prepared. <laughs> and I feel yeah. less frightened. Yeah, you weren't um, running out to get toilet paper before all this <laughs> shit went down. You were just living your life for the last five years. I really understand what everybody's waking up with, and... You know, you and I were talking recently, you know, one of the psychological theories going around now about raising kids is that about 80% of them are dandelions and about 20% are orchids. Right. And I love that. It was based on long years of research. And basically it's saying 80% of your kids are going to be resilient because their sensitivity, it's not that it's marred. But they seem to have cognitive power over it and get over things quickly. 20% are going to be a little more fragile. They hear a bad story. It may be 
something to put them in a frightened mood for five days, you know, right. whereas the child next to them sitting in catechism class hearing one of those nun stories that are designed to scare you into you're a believer. Um, right. And the kid over here hears the story and goes, oh, yeah, good story. And that the kid over here is crying every night for a week and right. holds it for their lifetime. Right. Okay, what does that mean? Do we say, gee, buck up, kid. Right. You know, you thought yourself into that. I don't believe that one damn bit. Yeah, of course. I, that shows up almost immediately when you're around children. It's yeah. knowing who that dandelion and who that I feel uh, like it's like the other is. way around. Like, I feel like it's got to be 80% orchids and 20% dandelions. Just, I feel like, but I feel like kids are better at masking it. Like, I think we're all born really like open and sensitive. And then we open. are conditioned. I feel like we're conditioned into and a not lot of feeling so deeply. And a lot of it, I honestly believe is our soul's journey at coming forward. Sure. Because, you know, you read somebody like Edgar Allan Poe. You try to get your mind to descend into the places of depression and ascend into the places of brilliance. And you realize this man's brain, he got here with this. I and mean, if it was conditioning, we'd just get a method and we'd pump out six trillion Edgar Allan Poe. Right. Um, this is spirit, you know, who we are. I just wonder how many kids have masked their have masked their extreme sensitivity. I mean, I was reading Untamed, hearing Glennon Doyle talk about how she started being a bulimic when she was ten. You know, it's like I wonder how many kids adopt these kind of defense mechanisms around feeling deeply and then no, they're not an orchid, but they're a you know a dandelion with bulimia. <laughs> right, with because yeah. those are protection, right? Mm-hmm. Like defensiveness in general. Like oh, and and anything can be a defense. You know, like humor can be a defense. Absolutely. Like being this, being the being the humor provider of the family is totally a defense. It's not necessarily what the kid wants to do, but it's what feels safe. Absolutely. And you know, everybody that you don't need a degree in psychology to type in Freud's ego defense mechanisms. Sure. Because in a postmodern uh, psychological world. You know, we really know certain stuff, and it's what you just said, is that human tendency (laughs) is to defend itself and protect itself. Um, And psychologically, Freud came up with a number, and I I wish I had the kind of brain he did so I could tell you exactly how many of these there are, but I think it's seven or eight um, that are so common as choices that our brain just seems to know how to do. I mean, you could be in Indonesia and somebody's doing the same thing in California yeah. as a defense mechanism, and it almost looks exactly the same. Well, you, you, you where is that from? Is that because right. it's a brain, a brain capability? Right. You know, it, just as Evan Alexander posits, right. you know, literally as a reductionist materialist, which is what scientists all are, 
we cannot come up with one explanation of what a thought is and what consciousness is. And yet we are still proceeding with brain research, assuming it's a function of the brain. But we get to this point in the figuring it out where we just say, and then a miracle happens <laughs> because there's no molecular show of the brain having a thought or not having a thought. Right. There's no testable thing. The only thing we've been able to use are some centuries and millennia worth of energy work. Uh, we can see energy flow. Um, sure. Or, you know, practitioners can feel it. But beyond that energy that is not accepted scientifically. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. So when you tell me there are seven yeah. basic ego defense mechanisms that human brains are going to ascribe to. Right. We're not a kitten. I mean. <laughs> oh, I mean, and it's so, it, it's so wild. I mean, the brain I think knows how to do it. The brain knows how to do it. The body knows how to do it. I mean, I think back, I think back to when I was 14 and first started kind of having some weird relationship to food stuff. You think you were that old? Oh yeah. Yeah. I for sure was. But I wouldn't contest it. Yeah. I just, it was right when you and dad were getting a divorce and I just, I started to kind of like not eat until after school, which was like till three. So I wouldn't eat till like three and then I'd eat a big meal and then I would take laxatives. No one taught me how to do that. Like there was no, I didn't read an article on how to do that. I didn't like learn through someone how to do that. It was just like, that was, that was my way of coping. And do you know how many people do that? I mean, if your defense is, is disordered eating, that's one of the most common defenses. And it's so wild because like you can't read an article on that. And that was kind of the day before like Google, you know, it wasn't like I could Google how to do it. It just was very inherent. It was just something that I did. And a lot of people do interesting defense. That's a pretty universal one. That's a beautiful analogy to bring this up. Yeah. We seem to come onto the planet and use the resources we have to keep yeah. doing the same things over and over again. Sure. And we do them a whole lot more alike in many cases when it yes. comes to behaviors than what we would like to think. Of course. So I'm taking a moment of pause right here, right now to tell you about Savage. You know, I created Savage chocolates, not out of a need for more chocolate, but actually out of a need to eat more mindfully. You know, I've struggled with um, eating disorders for most of my life. And really, I think the great healer of all things is presence. The great healer of all things is presence. And that's really why I created Savage is I wanted to teach what I teach on the yoga mat in life. You know, we do our yoga practice or we do our meditation practice and then we get off the mat or the meditation cushion and it all goes right out the window. And especially around things that I think as a culture we've deemed kind of indulgent, we have the ability to check out around. We're just like, okay, cool. Peace out, Cub Scout. I don't need to feel this or um, I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. 
So this isn't a treat. This is treatment for something that I don't want to feel. And so I created Savage so that we could be reminded that we deserve to receive pleasure. We deserve to feel good and we deserve to eat mindfully because that's actually how we receive the benefits and the beauty of food. It's such a beautiful gift that we generally either deprive ourselves of or eat so quickly that we don't actually get to experience. So this is our reminder, just as through this podcast, may we all pause, breathe, and savor the information that we're taking in with our food. May we pause, breathe, and savor. Remember, just to savor means to make something last. So just as you're savoring this episode, I invite you to savor savage. Because in a world full of chaos, loving yourself is a savage act, right? So for my beautiful Savage listeners, I'd like to offer you 15% off. You can go to savagelosangeles.com slash shop, just to make it easy, savagelosangeles.com slash shop. And at checkout, just enter the code SAVAGE IN PLACE, like shelter in place, but SAVAGE IN PLACE, and you'll save 15% today. All right, you guys, back to the episode. Okay, you can hear Hugo snoring in the background. For those of you that are unfamiliar, Hugo is my French bulldog, and he snores so like like what a do champ. You think of being fourteen, yeah, it's so deeply painful for me to hear that something happening within your family system was that difficult. But I understand, and I hate it, and I I don't know. That's, that's one of the great mysteries of dying and being older. Yeah. What do I regret? And deciding, do I really? Yeah. <laughs> because well, I learned this. I'm going to let you off the hook. And well, just I don't want to be off the hook. Well, I'm ready to be as on the hook as I need. Well, of course. But the truth is, is that we as, and I truly believe this, this goes back to this selflessness thing. We're either, kids don't learn through what parents say, they learn through what parents do. Very true. And you choosing yourself rather than choosing to be a martyr and stay in that marriage, that was the, that, that actually was a beautiful gift that you gave me because I know that I need to choose myself because that is what I would wish for my daughter if she were in a marriage that she didn't want. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That is a fucking gift. Well, it doesn't mean a major mature statement because well, I'm a mature lady. I'm 33. You really are because but, I've worked with clients that are in their 60s and they're mad at their mother who just got a divorce in her 80s. Right, exactly. But that's that's <laughs> like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's a big waste of time. I understand that we do what we need to do. Yes, we make sacrifices and things like that, but at the same time, we have to choose ourselves because if we don't choose if we don't choose ourselves who will, first of all, the only way we feel like we belong is if we belong to ourselves. We have to belong to ourselves first. Mm-hmm. You chose yourself. That does not mean you did not choose me. Did it hurt in the moment? God, yeah, of course. But remember what I was talking about earlier, that pain is really the birthplace to all growth, right? We come into this world being birthed. It's painful. We die moving on to another realm. It's painful for all involved. We start a business because there is pain somewhere, right? We start a business. Oh, wow. There's a lack in this 
market. People are in pain. I need to create something so that they won't be in pain. Everything gets birthed out of pain. So what you gave birth to by leaving, you know, leaving my dad was permission for me to choose myself in a lot of ways. And you displayed that. It sucked. Totally. Totally sucked. But at the same time, like get over it. Like life sucks sometimes. And if it didn't suck sometimes, then we, would do, we wouldn't know what goodness was because we learn through contrast. And so we know what good is because we know what bad is. We know what sucks because we know what's great. We know what's beautiful because we know what's brutal. And that's all there is to it. Well, that is the most generous thing, I think, in, in history that a so-called child of divorce has ever let it go beyond you know, just that horrible, devastating. Um, Why hold on to that? I mean, it's like every time we fall down, every time we, you know, fall to our knees, like there are gems laid on the ground and we can either choose to just get back up and be resentful of the fact that we fell to our knees or we can fall to our knees and go, Oh my God, there's gems down here. Holy shit. These are gorgeous. And we pick them up and then we go forward with all these gems. But if we keep holding on to the resentment, then there's no room for us to pick up the gems. It's really silly. Mm-hmm. Not only is it silly, but it's just, it, all it does is create more pain. The more we resist the pain, the more pain we get. So we might as well just be in the pain for a second, let it suck and then move forward. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Well, that was very enlightening and it was generous. And it, it, it's the kind of maturity that every parent dreams that um, their offspring will aspire to. What a funny word, offspring. <laughs> well, you sprung off me. What can I, I say? I did. Um, Backhand spring. Yes. But, you know, that is what we want is to... In fact, what we want is so sad. We want our kids to see things through our eyes, and they often never will. And sure. by our eyes, the the fact that there are some non-judgmental things in place, and that if you take them into consideration, things become much more complicated. They become uh, a, a different reality than just, I've got parents, and they should be together forever. But frankly, that is an archetypal belief that is so damn true and so damn right. It was never my intention to not be able to pull that off. So it was very sad when, when I couldn't pull it off. Well, I'm glad you chose yourself. And there's no, you know, there's no such thing as one-way liberation. There is no such thing. What is one way liberation? There's no such thing as it. When you liberated yourself, you also set dad free to be who he needed to be and to, to learn what he need to, needed to learn and to move on to a partnership that felt safe for him. When you told the truth, maybe he didn't like it at first. Maybe he still doesn't like it. I have no idea. But what I know for sure is when you 
told the truth and when you told your truth, you offered the opportunity for him to look at what he wanted and what he needed and what would be the best for him. I like that. That is a liberation I actually felt good about. Good. Um, yeah. I mean, my own liberation I felt beyond ecstatic about. But Good. I, but you I, should. But I did spend time thinking about what he was released to do, and it was to be more himself. Yeah, exactly. He was struggling way too hard to be yeah. in, in the relationship we were in. Of course. You both deserved things that felt more authentic to you. Things that felt not necessarily easier, but more in alignment with your path, more on purpose, less struggle, you know? Yes. That's huge. Most certainly. What are some of your regrets, if any? My goal (laughs) is to be regret-free, not to see anything as a missed opportunity or, gee, I didn't do that or uh, or I wish I hadn't done that. Um, I don't believe I have those wishes. I, I don't believe I have regrets. But um, I stand in a place where I believe that my tribe and my community the world at large, the universe at larger, uh, gave me so many opportunities. And I really, the, the thing, and I think what keeps me out of the regret field is that I really was, was really the right person to be offered a lot of opportunity. I, I really was that right person. Yeah, what and made you that right person? I, I, that's just my nature to get excited, period. Just get very excited and get moved by music, moved by the people and what they need and how great I think they can be moved by, you know, realizing uh, in my radio show, I'm reaching thousands of people being able to say something about a piece of music that might enhance it. You know, I get excited. So the opportunity for me was not wasted. Yeah. I'm not saying the universe would ever waste anything, but... I came onto the planet in a wildly progressive, exciting state Yeah, on this continent, and uh, I just feel so lucky, and at the same time as I feel lucky, I don't think it was an accident. Who are three people besides your family, no one in your family? No one in my family. No one in your family is allowed to be mentioned that you get very excited about, that you feel like we're big teachers for you. Not like Ram Dass, but like people that okay. you've met, people that, I that you know, but not your family. That's really hard because I attribute, I attribute a lot to a person. My, my parents used to get really mad at me because I would be so excited about a person yeah. and I'd try to share it and they would feel like I was putting myself at risk Interesting, because I liked them so much and they couldn't possibly be that good. Huh. I see, you know, I was a youngster that believed in a lot of good that my parents did not see. 
Yeah. Uh, and I got upended on that quite a bit. Yeah. I choked back on that quite a bit. Interesting. Well, um, then here's to healing that. Yeah. I guess <laughs> get really excited. Um, you met them and you were like, oh, amazing. So like role models? No, kind of, anything. Um, and why? Yeah. Youngest one would be a piano teacher, Ellie Yench. Love this. We called her Yenchabob. She was. <laughs> That's amazing. My sister made that up and she would say, oh, Yenchabob was mad at me for not practicing. And we, and we called her Yenchabob and it was all we could do to not call her to her face because we thought it was so cute. But Ellie Yench, she had escaped the Holocaust. Wow. Uh, she was a Jew that got out of Europe just in time. Wow. And came over with her children. God bless her. Um, her husband arranged it, but he couldn't get out, and he died in the concentration oh camp. And she was with a very thick accent. She had her two children living with her. Where did she live? Children. Where was she from? Children. She was from Germany, Germany, and I'm very, I know where, but I it don't not, remember. Not coming up. That's okay. Um, but she was my piano teacher, so it was one-on-one. And she said something to me that shaped my entire life. Ooh, cool. And it was, it is a reminder to me as a teacher. She was like a goddess to me as a teacher my whole life because I'd go remember Yantabob. She just said that one sentence what and it, it changed your life. What was it? I was getting ready for a recital. Yeah. I had already done two or three dance recitals. I was yeah. very young and I opened up to Yantabob. For some reason, I felt very safe there. And I said to her, um, Ellie, I really am afraid I'm going to fail. I've never done uh, a recital sitting down, you know, because to me, recital meant yeah. dancing. And uh, I said, I just feel like I'm so nervous I might not be able to play. And this wonderful woman looked at me and said my name, first and last, Lori Lee Moser. I know one thing about you. When you do something, you do it right. And in fact, you are going to be told you do it extraordinarily many times. Wow. But you really don't know how to not do it right. So that's not going to happen that you'll get so nervous that you can't play because you can't do that. That's who you are and that's how you will do things. That's so powerful. Yeah. On that day. Yeah. My life was changed. Totally. That lovely woman. And that was just her way of encouraging. You well, know, and, and, and I think and she saw that in you. And that I, I believe, honestly, she was a soul that saw it in every student, but probably yeah, saw it maybe. more when that student made themselves vulnerable and showed they really cared. Yeah. Um, but that was amazing. Um, and again, I've taken her with me. Good. Beautiful. So um, I did fine in the recital. No one would call me a gifted pianist because I was in my first year of piano lessons. But I loved uh, doing fine in the recital. And it was amazing having that. It might as well have been some kind of magic uh, talisman or something. Yeah. That she told me that was who I was. So it was impossible. You know, to not 
be okay. She tattooed it on your brain somehow. And, and it might as well have been something solid. Uh, it was so powerful. That's so beautiful. Um, so we all need an Ellie Yunch. Mm-hmm. So I guess she's really big, even though, you know, so many wonderful people. That's huge. This is a crazy one. I remember seeing Janis Joplin in a concert. I love it. At my university when I was a student in 1969. And she was very, my seats were so close to her. It was almost like you and me. Wow. I don't know how I pulled that off it's by accident. But I watched her in the first half um, put down an entire bottle of Southern Comfort. Again, she wasn't hiding it. She was on top of the piano. She just turned and chugged it. The whole bottle was gone. Then there was intermission. And in my head, I thought, she might not come back. I mean, right. how many people do you know right, who, who can drink a who whole bottle? Take a whole bottle. Right. And even with great tolerance, that yeah. doesn't mean you don't get so sleepy you can't move. Right. Um, and I thought. And she oh, wasn't she, like a big person either. No. And she came back on that stage. And it was like somebody had had her in the cage the whole first half and they pulled the front of the cage right. off. And she was the wildest thing I've ever seen. I mean, yeah. it was like a human study. And again, that was brazen talent. Yeah. That woman was so talented. You know, you hear people in recorded music in those days, it would have been LPs, believe it or yeah, not. Yeah, of course. But you hear people with recorded music and you love it and you say it's not fabulous and you see them in person and they knock you over. Yeah. There is no way I've ever heard her voice right. that represents what I heard that night. Right. And the brazen talent, it was not even of this time. It was timeless. Mm. You could see it in a primitive cave around a fire. Right. You could see it. Oh, they put fires in the cave. Sorry. Only with ventilation. <laughs> you could see it in any time in history. You could see it in Paganini, you know, playing yeah. the violin so frantically that people thought he was possessed. You know, you could see it in in absolute pockets of yeah excitement. Yeah, um, these like bursts of pure soul. Yeah. alignment that lady did not need to stay here on the planet that no. long there's a reason she's in the 27 club well she really didn't need to be here she was yeah. way too much for here yeah it would just break her heart total alien um because she was so wide open yeah and so hungry to have you love her and yeah. so capable of making you love her and it was just like the most honest bit of psychology art humanity and spirit I've ever seen in one package. That's really cool. Uh, did I ever talk to her? No. <laughs> so I well, talked to her. Yeah. Um, she may have heard me go woohoo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. What a woman. Wow. Um, so there was another one, but I was supposed to have talked to them, huh? No, I love that one. And you don't have to come up with any work unless you have someone in mind. Well, I have a lot. Yeah. And on a given day, they could change. Of course. But they do come from a place of genuinely 
just being so loved by me. Right. You know, and so I don't know if you can trust me talking about her. Is that what I put there, you know, because I can get very excited about human beings. I think that's, again, goes back to your purpose of being a motivator. Well, it was great, great ride, great way to be. And I, I often marvel um, at the kids that I grew up with and the uh, tremendous amount of us who went to secretarial school, mm-hmm. not college, which, uh, you know, is a completely different experience. Of course. And some of them as secretaries, I'm sure, changed the world and did marvelous things. I'm just saying... In my era, it was not a creative time for women. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, let us help you with this symposium we're doing on the arts. Right. Let, you know, right. Or let us help you as an entrepreneur. Let us, would you like, you know, because that's what education, in my opinion, should be. Oh, have you thought of this? You know? mm. It was not like that. It was, here are your options. The phrase uh, that I heard all the time, getting ready for college was have something to fall back on. If you want to go to college, end up with something to fall back on when your husband leaves you. That was honest to God. If you would have heard it, it was just absolute. Sure. Um, And, you know, I still have in one of my scrapbooks from my old days, a letter that came from Belva Sherman, She was my counselor and I had gotten straight A's uh, in my last year for like the seventh time in a row or something or whatever. And this letter said, you know, it was congratulations to my parents and and I invite you to come into my office and talk about some educational challenges for Lori Lee as she leaves high school and moves into the college experience. And I still have that letter. Yeah. Because my parents who were always supportive of me, they didn't go. They really? didn't make that appointment. Wow. And I have always wondered what would have happened because I know what she was doing there. You had to have a lot of representation yeah. if you wanted to go to like a Stanford or this or that. Sure. And I know that's what that was. Interesting. But it, my parents were people of their era, and my position was to be married. Yeah. And in the midst of some of the hardest work I ever did and some of the most powerful work I did at a kind of an award ceremony that my parents attended, my mom took me aside later and said, well, that was very nice, but, you know, you just look kind of like a workhorse. Right. You need to rely on your husband more to make a living and just be supportive. Right. Because you really do look like a workhorse. And that's um, such um, a wild conditioning that she was under. But that was safe for her. Exactly. That was safety. At the time, all it did, I had already decided my mother and I were so far apart, I didn't know how to get in. So it wasn't that. Until today. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, But, you know, I'll never forget that phrasing. Because somehow, 
And she was very beautiful. Yeah, of course. And somehow, almost my whole life with her, there was no way I was going to get told I looked good. But this particular night, I looked really good. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, the whole thing, because I was accepting an award. And I, I was really looking good. And I thought maybe this time she would say, you look really pretty or yeah. something. But it wasn't her version. But No, but her version of looking pretty is that you have a successful man by your side and you look like you and feel like you are supporting them and you are to show you are at his disposal at all times. You are uh, absolute dust at his feet. If he said at the moment, yes, you have a ball gown on, but lie down, I need to walk on you because my feet are dirty, you would do it. Right. it, it honestly, yeah. the devotion, and she gave my father that. I can't imagine. Yeah. That lifetime for him was you get to be on the earth when somebody is so devoted to you. All they do with 100% of their time is just think of you and what you need and give it to you. Right. Um, How fabulous. Right. In some ways. Yes. I mean, shattered all of it. But yeah. Yeah. Totally wild. So, no, I mean, but I'll just never forget how I thought I might get something. And what I got was you look like a workhorse. That was, she said it early on. And at the end, you look like a workhorse. Very hard to think of workhorse being pretty. Yeah, of <laughs> course, of course. It just wasn't it and you of course were beautiful and she and she always knew that, but you scared her, I'm sure. You scared her. I am sure. Ways. And just because you had a different style, a different way of doing things and getting yeah. things done, you still obviously you still do. And thank God. It's such a memory. So my mom would be that third person first. You well, you said not. But I mean, that really woke me up. Like, it was kind of like you're orbiting the earth. Yeah. But you're still able to come back Sorry. in anytime you want. And in her world, I was orbiting my mother. Yeah. But when that happened, it's like I got shot out of a cannon beyond... <laughs> Where you can come back. Right. You know, that place in space where, oh, sorry, you're out of the orbit too far now. You'd have to have 16,000 boosters to get yourself through through and into the atmosphere. It's like, it it was funny. I was orbiting, but suddenly I went, yeah, and I never could get back. I mean, I just knew she had no idea who I was. And it's beautiful that you stopped trying to get it because some of us spend our whole lifetime trying to get someone to see us and the truth is is they just never never will i think you are so right thank you i think that's brilliant or either see us or approve of us i think exactly maybe what was terrifying is this woman who's supposed to love me she did. Yes, she could not approve of me. She loved you, but she yeah. maybe couldn't it approve couldn't of you. Happen it on was just approval basis. different. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm lucky there was some kind of reality check in there that made me realize, no, I'm. It's not because I'm worthless. Right. So of course, I'm sure I went through a period of time where I had to decide she was bad, so that I could be okay. Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, we're just different, just separate, and mm-hmm. not even separate like not you know obviously we're you know we are all one if you will but separate in in the way in which we see things mm-hmm. and that's that's a beautiful gift that you cut cut and run yeah it was fantastic and <laughs> no i and today i it, you know it, i'll tell you the universe is going to make sure on this walk you finally get to the truth 
today I found out on something very important. I am exactly who she is. Yeah. So, um, well, usually we, you know, we see our mirror. Usually we're mostly triggered by, by things that are very similar to us. It's part of the reason they trigger us. So we haven't integrated them or, you know, they're the shadow of us. They're Mm -hmm. disintegrated. And so it's like, ah, and I'm sure your mom would have loved nothing more than to have been a powerhouse. I really believe that. That could be. Thank you. I'm sure. No. Which that, is why you scared the shit out of her. Because that was alive and well within her, but she wasn't able to integrate it given her time and place. Now, see, anybody that would ever listen to this would go, what? Why is she so excited? Alexa, that's really big what you just said. I think it's true. I do too. Yeah. Because part that of her rage. Yeah, it's that is anger. one thing. You know, to go to college. Yeah. Her oldest brother Bill had to literally get in a fight with her father yeah. to let her go. Yeah. Not lock her in an attic. Yeah. I mean, seriously. It's amazing she went. Yeah. For that I mean, she was born in the twenties, right? Or eighteen. Fourteen. Fourteen. Um Wild. Yeah. Bless her soul. Bless her soul. What an incredible woman. But you are so right. Do you know many people that taught themselves French? Do you know a lot of people that had a box of eight and a half by 11 paper with poems she had typed? Right. Just so that she could have them. That's I what I'm saying. I can't believe she did that. She read Adele Davis and was so ahead of her time on nutrition. Right. She was one of the most astute people about the human body and nutrition that oh. you could ever find. So she, she would have been a, an incredible she, physician. She's a probably a witch, you know. She's probably like, but you're absolutely right. Burned she, at the stake, witch. She was totally disallowed, and totally. then by the grace of God, and it kept her safe because yeah. she knew what the alternative was with her upbringing. Uh-huh. She knew and what it felt like to be she not then safe. Married a man that was just such a super achiever. Yeah. Um, he did need like a team of people supporting him. He was so self-abusive in his work style. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So. Interesting. Well, to teachers. Yeah. May we know them and may we see them as such rather than, mm-hmm. you know. Who do you think were your guides bringing you here? Not that they got on the planet with you, but like, can you envision them? Because I have gone into meditation and I have envisioned some, some of the people who were my guides. I don't, I don't know who my guides were potentially. I think potentially your father was a guide of mine because he died right before I was born. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the only thing that comes to mind. I haven't really meditated much on that. Um, but I'd love to hear yours and then we'll finish out. I believe that I had, just on this feeling level, a couple of female guides Mm. uh, that were possibly my father's mother. Um, But, you know, I'll find out. But, um, uh, and I think. Part of that is my propensity. You know, I, you know, have heard stories about her and how she was really loved and had a sense of humor and was very engaging. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there is a woman that probably 
you know, she, she raised her kids during a depression. Talk about hard times. Yeah. And, uh, came over here from Austria, um, you know, prior to that, just out of world war one, um, in Europe, economic hardship galore. Mm-hmm. But evidently, she had kind of a a way to use her personality that made things fun. Okay, and, and then who else? You said a couple. Yeah, the other I feel was a Native American woman. Mm. And I know that, you know, I got very moved by Julie yeah. Harlow's or Harho. I, I'm awful with that last name. Yeah. Um, but uh, Crazy Brave. Yeah. She talked about guides and I, you know, it makes me think, did that influence? Yeah. Not really. I have always been drawn to that Native American culture. Yeah. With yeah. such passion. And, um, you know, I certainly could have read more, but everything I have looked into fascinates me. And I get this very strong uh, survivor feeling from somebody that helped me. Beautiful. And uh, it's it's very visceral. Mm. And, uh, And... Yeah. You got into your body when you did that. That was cool. It, it, I just get it. I, yeah. It, it was um, very powerful wow. to me to think about that woman. And uh, it may be my fascination with the Mother Lode country. That was Indian country. Yeah. And... Um, I can go there. So and you I, really resonate with certain things based sense, on that. I can get a sense of living on that land. Cool. A, and the power of it, the power of being connected to nature and surrendering. I think that's my love of the Native Americans. Surrender. They trusted nature. They were part of it. And they... They didn't ever even think of doing anything. Do you but think surrender. maybe that's part of what you're here to learn? Yeah, she was probably my guide, hoping she could put me in some place where I could learn that. But I don't think I did. Well, you still got time. Yeah, I'm working on it. Surrender. I love that. It's a good world. You know, when when you're going to die, there is a legend. And I can't tell you, I believe it's Middle Eastern, um, but I love the, the legend Yeah. Um, that is really the absolute crux of what you're doing here after a fatal diagnosis. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. And this legend points it out. Um, a village is being threatened by a giant ogre. And the only thing that the ogre says will get him off of the land, its terrible influence on the land, would be to give him three people, their best athletes, to run to the cliff, leap, and land on the other side safely. If one out of three can do it. 
and these men rehearsed, not the cliff, I think we call it trained, uh, and worked (laughs) and worked and worked so they were the strongest they could be. And the first man ran, the whole village is there, and he ran and didn't make it, fell to his death hundreds of feet down. The second man ran, didn't make it, fell to his feet. Third man ran, didn't make it, but got so close he slid down and grabbed a strawberry bush mm. and was hanging on. And the ogre was there and said, oh, you didn't make it either because the idea was you had to be able to walk away from the edge. And the man said, okay, I get it. And as he said, I get it, he had a free hand for a moment and he picked a strawberry and ate it. Just went, mm. And the ogre said, what are you doing? You're going to die in a few seconds. And he said, I know, but I'm not dead yet. And look at that strawberry. Beautiful. And the ogre saw him there. And of course, he could do anything. He was so big and strong. He bent down and picked him up and put him there and said, this is now your kingdom. That's the wisest thing I've ever heard. Mm. Everybody with a fatal diagnosis, if they have the courage to get out of bed the next day, There has to be that mind adjustment where they still, knowing death could be a step away, choose to savor, pause, breathe, Mm -hmm. and savor Mm -hmm. whatever is there for them and not be so overloaded with the fear of death that they are just hanging on, unlike the people on solid ground, but not be so overloaded that they totally give up the pleasure of being on planet Earth, which is our genuine purpose. Yes. So the ogre was really a wise man. Beautiful. Turned him into a king, and then the ogre reduced down to being a gentle, wise man and went on. And the whole village learned the lesson, and their quality of life was so beautiful because they used as their king a perfect example of how to live. But that encapsulates the hardest part of having a fatal diagnosis. Right. Because on a conscious level, that's where you want to be. Right. But that cloud. Right. Fuck. It's just like a bastard. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Like an ogre. You just, how do I get rid of, I'm going to die any minute. How do I use time that, but it's not this minute. Mm-hmm. It's not this minute. So it's I not this breath. It's need not this. to go into that future, even though it's so dreaded and it's so terrifying and it's so present and it's so for sure coming up. Can I be here now, Rom? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just be here. So now. So when I hear Rom Doss say, "Just be here now," um, yeah, it's part of that legend. It's Good. just um, the pleasure. Yeah. You know, uh, I know that a lot of people with fatal diagnoses, I know what they die of. They die of despair and fear. And yes, there's plenty of evidence, you know, that the cellular machinations of a terrible disease are involved as well. Um, But I know that's in there. That it's, it's really a decision disease or not that you can make with your body is just told I'm going why should I have another day and the answer comes back pleasure (laughs) what you're here for 
getting as close as you can to the divinity, yes. spreading that out as much as yes. you can, which would be mine. Yeah. Maybe to an evil person, it's getting as close as you can to the devil, wrecking as much havoc as you can on this earth before you leave. Hey, that's in the tapestry of humanity. Absolutely. Um, and that's why, you know, we're all one. We all are learning the lessons of all. Well, let's pause, breathe, and savor it all. All right, you guys, thank you so much for carving out the time to listen to this wisdom, to listen to uh, all this goodness. Um, Once again, gentle reminder to please check out savagelosangeles.com to learn more about my new company that I'm so proud of. I hope it inspires you to create and cultivate a life that you dig. Um, And also, if you are down and have, you know, oh, I don't know, 10 seconds, then please, please give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. Super easy. Just give it five stars. Maybe say a few kind words. And if you dug it, please share it with your friends. I would be over the moon with gratitude. Um, All right. You guys are the bee's knees. Much love. Stay savage. Stay savage.